Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on an episode of the All Might Beatified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I have the amazing privilege to be here with Marcus A. Kennedy. Marcus Kennedy is a proven and tested leader that has impacted the lives of hundreds of individuals in the public and private sector. Having personally benefited from the engaged mentorship and dedicated leadership, he has researched and presented on various leadership topics across the country. Through his design training sessions, featured keynote addresses, and his participation on numerous discussion panels, Marcus has reached thousands. Well known for his expertise on intrusive leadership, he has published the first ever leadership book solely dedicated to this impactful leadership style. In Intrusive Leadership, How to Become That Leader, he defines, dissects, and discusses the impacts of what he often describes as the most critical leadership style for the future. This book has received great reviews from senior military and corporate leaders. Marcus Kennedy, raised in Savannah, Georgia, graduated from the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in 2000 and spent over two decades on active duty. He mainly served as an MH-65 helicopter pilot and completed life-saving missions on the high seas as well as responding to significant weather missions, helping to interdict over $250 million of illegal contraband and arresting numerous narco-terrorists. His last aviation assignment was at Coast Guard Air Station Houston, Texas, where he served as the commanding officer. Marcus Kennedy has earned advanced degrees from the Duquesne University, Syracuse University, and the prestigious National War College in Washington, D.C. In 2023, Marcus Kennedy founded the Kennedy Leadership Group. This leadership consulting firm specializes in leadership development and coaching for first-line managers to senior executives, creating impactful leaders that people trust and admire. He is happily married to Angelise Kennedy and, and has three amazing children. Well, welcome, Marcus. So excited to chat with you today on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I had the amazing opportunity to get an advanced copy of Marcus's book so I can provide my review and I'll give a review on his website as well. But the book, I cannot recommend it enough. It's got the All Might Be Edified stamp of approval. So all of you listening, go out and get it. I highly recommend it. We'll talk about the book a little bit on the podcast. We'll show you how to get it. We'll talk about some ways to even donate some ways to get it for other people on the podcast today. But it's just an amazing, impactful book with some wonderful stories and examples of how to be uh, just a that impactful leader, as Marcus says in the title. So just excited to talk about it today and it and amplify Marcus's voice to many of you today. And I had the opportunity to be on the District 8 Area Command when Marcus was the commanding officer of Air Station Houston, and I was oh, just got to see that he truly is both that intrusive and servant leader that cares about the people. And he would always join these or sometimes scripted area command calls. Then you know everybody has to report out on their units, and he would always announce my D eight family, and he would just always come so warm to these scripted calls where everybody has to do you know announce what's going on in these massive hurricanes and different disasters and during COVID. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear someone come with such a warm announcement. And, you know, Marcus says in his book, people are without a doubt and without a question, the most important asset to any organization. It is about leading the whole person, not just the fraction of a person you see during their work shift. So how do we do this? How do we find that whole person, Marcus? I have a simple response, but it's a lot harder to do. And that simple response is really just by engaging with simple questions. How are you doing? How was your weekend? 
Where are you from? What matters to you? What are your hobbies? You know, I think that a lot of times, especially in the Coast Guard, especially in operational units, and I'm pretty sure that a number of people listening would agree, we get so wrapped up into the job. This is the mission. This is the task that we need to complete that we naturally get ourselves in the mode of when we deal with our employees, when we deal with our coworkers, it's about the job and it's rarely about them. And even as leaders that we know that, hey, you see somebody in the morning, good morning. It's Monday. Hey, how was your weekend? But how many times do we really sit and pause and let that person know that, no, we actually do care about how your weekend was. You know, tell me what you did away from the job. And it's interesting because there are times where I will ask somebody, how are things going? And they will spend five minutes talking about how things are going at the job. And I almost have to stop them to say, no, I'm asking how are things going for you? Like, how are you doing? And it's a very interesting thing. But when I say that it's, I have a simple response, but it's harder to do, those things take time. You know, sitting there and actually engaging with somebody, there's a time commitment to it, right? When they start telling you about things, you have to respond. You have to remember. You don't want to be that person to ask somebody how they're doing and they tell you about their family or something that's important. And then the next day you've completely forgotten. So it takes a little bit of effort to do it. But my message is that that concerted effort in engaging with people in this manner is well worth it. And the impacts that you will receive as a leader from employees when you do that, it's unmeasurable. So wonderful. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about the book, but your book just has some wonderful, profound examples about that. And I noticed throughout those examples, how often you prompt that, you know, those examples of how are you doing? What's going on? And I thought about that a lot when I was reading the book, there was an example that I recalled when I was down in Mexico on a Coast Guard assignment. And I had this peer that I was working a lot with in the Mexican Navy. Anna Prezes, and she would always answer with an honest answer when I asked how she was doing. And sometimes it was, oh, not so good, friend. And, and you know, a lot of times in our culture, fine, good, we give these real superficial answers. And if someone actually gives an honest answer that's not fine or good, we don't know what to do with it. And I think that's really indicative of our culture and what you're talking about, about work versus personal answers. And we have to be willing to sit and receive, oh, not so good, and then entertain what comes after that and not look uncomfortable and know what to do with that. And I, I think about Anna Praises and how she taught me to have a good conversation about what that looks like when she said, oh, not so good, or I'm just tired today and what that means and how to have a dialogue about that. And I think the Hispanic culture is so good about talking about those honest conversations that I learned so much in those six months about how to dialogue that just was wonderful. And I, what other advice do you have about how you respond, not just with your words, but with your nonverbal cues when someone answers you just to make yourself more inviting to be a source 
of warmth to people that they're going to not just think you're, you know, you, you do such a good job of saying D8 family, but you also invite a family response. So I, what do you do to do that? So I really just think that it's how you engage with people in a normal sense. And you invite people to be honest. Sometimes you have to tell them, hey, I really want to know. And you also model that example. If somebody asks me how my weekend was, I tell them how my weekend was. Hey, this is what, you know, I did with the family. We did this. We did that. So you kind of, sometimes you can break down those barriers by taking the first step yourself as a leader. But in those moments when you ask somebody how you're doing, how's your weekend, how's your day going, as a leader, as a supervisor, as a coworker, as a friend, you really do need to listen because sometimes people could be going through something and they send off a little smoke flare wondering if somebody's going to catch on to it and then ask that intrusive question that's going to get them to open up. Sometimes people don't know how to seek help, so they might give you a less than enthusiastic response when you ask how are things going just to test to see, hey, is this person going to stop and are they going to engage? Are they going to ask a follow-up question because I'm not really sure if they really do care? I remember one time when I was at the air station and I was heading to a meeting that was off base. So I was heading to the government vehicle and I asked one of the petty officers, you know, hey, so-and-so, how are you doing? And her response just, there was something a little bit off about that response. And I said, hey, you know, like what's, you know, tell me what's going on. And she had just lost her father the night before. And she was literally in a daze. She really had no idea what to do, how to process this. So she was literally going through the motions. She was at work. She was in uniform, but she wasn't an employee then. At that moment, she was a daughter that just lost her father. And so at that moment, me, if I had not paid attention, I could have missed it. If I was afraid to engage and ask that intrusive question, that follow-up question, I could have missed it. But at that moment, this daughter who just lost a father, she became the priority. She became my mission. That meeting was secondary. I could have easily sent an email later on to say, hey, this is why I was late. Catch up. But at that moment, she needed to know that in that moment when she was at an emotional point, having a bad day, that she was at a workplace where people will stop anything to make sure that she knew that she was valued and supported. That's just such a powerful story. And I love how you first talked about how we have to model this behavior. And then you get to this story that where you're really modeling it in a way that you reprioritize things to show people they truly matter. And you really exemplify that people are without a doubt the most important thing in our organization. And I just love it. And you know, your books on intrusive leadership, you have made intrusive leadership your mission. And we've talked about the article that led up to this on the podcast without you. I, I've really become a believer in this article. There's been a couple episodes where we've championed this article 
And it's in the show notes on a couple. If you haven't heard about this article and you're a listener, you can visit some other episodes that we've talked about this. We're not going to go too in depth in this article. We may touch on it, but it's available. It'll be in these show notes as well. But it's just a powerful article that it changed my paradigm. And I had to think a little bit more about what I was doing as a leader. And so I take every opportunity I can to share it because I've been a, a value for this article and I want other people to have the value of having the opportunity to think more deeply about how they interact with the people around them. And I appreciate Captain you know, Marcus Kennedy for sharing this. And one of the things I think about is in addition to changing that paradigm, I was one of these people that thought intrusive leadership, I just didn't like the name. I was really resistant to it. I, I was like, ah, I just don't like this name. And, you know, Marcus has been in my ear. He he gives me this book to read. I, I get into it and I've become a believer. I've done a 180. I've changed. I'm completely on board. I, I sent him an email after I finished the book. I'm like, Marcus, whatever you need, I'm here to do it. I'm going to champion this cause with you. I'm 100% on board with this mission. I'm right here, ready to go. And so I've gotten on board. I know you've had some discussion with Simon Sinek, who's a well-respected leadership coach, mentor. I love him. A lot of other people have talked about him on this podcast and other forums. And he told you to lose the phrase. And you said, no, not going to do that. You even mentioned it in the book. So first, let's talk about how do you define intrusive leadership? And then let's talk about why you feel so intent to keep this name. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I will give you my definition of intrusive leadership. And I say my definition because right now, until somebody proves me wrong, I believe that I am the only person that has truly provided a definition for this leadership style. So intrusive leadership is a leadership style that uses intentional actions to inspire, motivate, develop, and support people by caring for the whole person through a trusting relationship that addresses professional and personal interests, desires, and concerns. So that's a definition, right? What does that really mean? In the book, I really dissect it, okay? But for today's purposes, what I will say is that this is a leadership style where a leader understands that they need to get to know their employees, the people that they supervise, the people that they work with every day beyond the workplace. And when they build those trusting relationships, when they get to know every individual, it allows them to understand what they need to do to motivate, inspire, support people individually. It's the thought of, I'll say this, I believe there's two ways of approaching leadership. You can approach leadership by figuring out what you think the best way for you to lead. This is what I feel comfortable doing. This is what plays to my strengths. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be this leader. The other way of approaching it is with the mindset of, I want to be the best leader for Keith. I want to be the best leader for Lisa. I want to be the best leader for Jamal. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is I need to know Keith at a level that I understand what inspires Keith. I know what his motivations are. I know what his goals are. I know what's different between Lisa. I know what her goals are, what motivates her, what her concerns are. I know what Jamal's passion is. You know, 
I know what his fears are. I know what makes him tick. And then I am going to use that information to be the best leader for you, to be the best leader for Lisa, and then the best leader for Jamal. And that's what intrusive leadership is about. Getting to know people at an intimate level beyond just the workplace so that you as a leader are better suited, better informed, so that you can cater your leadership style to have the most impact on that person. It sounds beautiful to me. I mean, I know I've had a 180. I know what I've struggled with with the term. Why do you think so many people struggle with that term and lose intrusive leadership? The term makes people feel uncomfortable. If you look up the synonyms for intrusive, the word intrusive, things like meddlesome, invasive, people think about the negatives when it comes with intrusive, an intruder, right? Who wants somebody coming to the house that's intruding, right? Well, if there was a fire in my house, I would want the firefighters to be intrusive. I want them to intrude into the house to deal with the situation that I have beyond that front door. If I was having a problem, my friend would be intrusive. My friend would know me well enough to say, you know, something's a little bit off. You know, what's going on? Your favorite cousin, your brother, your sister would say, hey, the way that you responded to that is not how you normally will respond. Is there something else that's going on? Those are the things that I am trying to get people to understand is the actual actions of an intrusive leader that in moments, that is what it requires. When you think about somebody that is depressed, somebody that could potentially be having suicidal thoughts, are you going to be hesitant about being intrusive? No. You're going to say, hey, in this moment, something's going on. I need to pry a little bit deeper to find out what's happening. So the reason why I decided to keep the term, and I will say that Simon Sinek did agree with this. This was the one thing that he had positive to say about the term is that nothing describes the actions that I am saying leaders should do on a daily basis, and especially in critical moments, like the term intrusive. And since my goal, my mission is to motivate people to act differently in their leadership style, then I decided to keep that term because it best describes the action. I love that framing of it. And I really love how you bring those real applications to that word because you're absolutely right. Those are situations that I can very quickly think about how I would let down my barriers and quickly allow someone to intrude. But it's not natural for us to allow those thoughts to enter into our minds. But so often there's people in these struggles in life all around us, you know, metaphorically are having fires or depression or emergencies. And we're just not recognizing the signs, the smoke, if you will. And we're not taking the action to be those firefighters as leaders to run to the rescue, to ask those to intrude, to be intrusive. And I think 
that's why your message is so resonating with people once they start to recognize that the reason I've been maybe apprehensive to the word is because it makes me uncomfortable. But the thing about comfort is I don't grow. And the thing about my comfort is that when I'm comfortable, I also don't make the people around me grow because we all just sit in our own comfort. If I'm a really good leader, I have to not only get outside my own comfort zone, but I have to help other people get outside their comfort zone. And that's really what, you know, whether it's servant leadership or intrusive leadership or the combination of the both, we have to find a way to push ourselves and help get to know the people around us to recognize when things aren't normal. Because even when we do want to push people in a positive way, if something's wrong, we can't push people the way we normally would. So we have to recognize the indications to push people both positively and to also help them fight those fires in their lives. So I just love those the way you tie those examples together. And the book does it so well. And I just think you're just a master teacher in this regard. Now, you often talk about the way that this happens. It takes relationships between leader and those led and the way you describe them, best cousin, friends, family members, and it takes those relationships and it turns them joyful. Now, I think a lot of us can imagine that, but why do you think it does that in that situation? It is because of the most important characteristic or foundational thing with this leadership style, and it's trust. You trust your best friend. You trust that family member. You trust your brother, your sister, whatever it is. So if they were to come up to you and say, hey, how's everything at home? You are listening to that person ask that question, but it's on a foundation of trust. So you respond to it differently. Whereas if a perfect stranger asks you, how are things at home? It's the same question, the same words, but you're going to receive it differently because there's no trust there. So that is one of the things that I tell leaders is that your position does not give you trust. Your rank does not give you trust. It is how you engage with people that is going to allow you to build up trust equity that when those moments come, you can take a deposit and ask those intrusive questions and they're going to respond to it with the understanding that I know he cares about me and I know that he only wants me to be successful. He only wants me to be mentally safe. He cares about my well-being. In this moment that I'm going through something, I can tell him or tell her and I know that I'm going to be okay and I'm going to get some help. So that is the reason why. And I think that there was definitely a time where at the workplace, that was not the thought. We were taught compartmentalize. What happens at home stays at home, leave it at home, compartmentalize and get the job done. Well, humans can't always do that. There are things that are happening in people's lives that they just cannot compartmentalize. That is what happened to me in 2020 with the situation with George Floyd that kind of started this. That reason why I wrote that article is because for the first time, I was unable to compartmentalize what was going on with my thoughts 
what was causing me some mental anguish that was actually taking place outside of the workplace. And in that moment, I was just looking for somebody, hoping somebody would ask me, how am I doing? Am I okay? And it was the fact that nobody was doing that. And a situation happened where I needed to do that for somebody else who just happened to be African-American as well, that I just thought that this is a moment that leaders in the Coast Guard and really in any organization cannot miss. They cannot miss the opportunity to let somebody know that they are seen as a person, not as an employee, and that they're there for And that is what, that was the motivating thing behind that original article, which really started this journey on studying this leadership style and end up writing it, writing about it, I should say. Yeah. You know, I love so many things that you said there and, you know, and you carry these ideas well, thoughtfully throughout the book. And I just love this idea of building up trust equity. It's just so powerful. And I think it's so powerfully done through this idea of intrusive leadership. And I just love it so much. And, you know, this idea that you, you know, you started with the article and you talked about it in another article. And, you know, I think about this idea, you know, you've continued on because, you know, so many of us, I think we, we have the best intentions and we think that we're doing good, bringing out an inclusive environment in our workplace, but we're falling short. Because we're not doing all of these things that you're recommending. We're not building up enough trust equity. And so people, you know, they're putting on a strong face, just like you did in your first article and you talk about this so well. And this idea of intrusive leadership just shows us how we can do better to really bring out the full individual in the full workplace and get more creativity, more inclusivity. You know, that's how we get the true benefit of the gifts of diversity and equity and inclusion and all bring everyone together. And we have the best ideas in our workplace, just coming together with all the different backgrounds and all the different people. And that's where the real power comes from. But it does take work as, as Marcus has been teaching us. And really there's, there's so many examples that you've given in the many forums you've talked about. But the one example that comes to mind that builds upon this idea of trust equity that just resonates so powerfully with me is this example of Steve and Celia Peace in your book, because there's this example of of these grandparents in the book that, and they obviously love their their grandchildren, but you know I, I don't think anyone can dispute a love that grandparents have for their grandchildren, and and I just want to turn some time over to you to talk about this example in the book of these grandparents and what they did to go that extra mile to really show how to create this avenue to do more to understand what their grandchildren were going through, to understand what their son-in-law was going through, to understand how to build a better environment, to even become more understanding of what to do. And I think we can learn a lot from this. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more surprising stories that I heard as a result of that first article. So this couple, Steve and Cecilia Peace, they go to the same church as my parents. And my father shared that article with them. And as a result of reading the article, they decided 
to spend the evening with my parents talking about race, talking about what it was like growing up and going through life as an African-American. And the things that they ended up hearing about, learning, changed them. It gave them a new perspective. And so what they did with that new perspective is they decided to have a conversation with their son in, in love. And he is African-American. Steve and Cecilia Peace are Caucasians. Their daughter, obviously Caucasian. So daughter married an African-American. So they decided to have this conversation with their son in love. Never had this conversation before, even though they had spent countless number of hours, holidays, good times with them. They never talked about this aspect of their son-in-law. And then they decided to ask their granddaughters some intrusive questions. And the responses that they got back was very shocking to them, but it strengthened their relationship. They got a chance to understand a little bit more about the life experiences that people that they had been spending time with, that they cared about, that they had true, authentic relationships with, they got a chance to know them a little bit better, a little bit deeper, because they decided to make some in intentional actions in learning about a different perspective. And so when I heard about that story, it was profound and I loved it because it was something that I just, I didn't expect. When I, when I wrote the article, I was thinking about the military. I was thinking about this and that. I didn't think about how it could impact a family, but what I took from it and was a couple of things. One, because they decided to take some initial actions and learn about a different perspective from them, from theirs, they were now awakened to some experiences, some thoughts that were foreign to them. They were now enlightened on something that they didn't know about before because they decided to take some initial actions and learn about it. So that was one thing. The other thing was that it also showed me that once again, you can spend countless number of hours day with somebody. You can have a truly authentic, good relationship with someone and still not get to a level that will go to where these type of conversations take place. And that these intentional actions, these intrusive questions, they can turn a good relationship into a great one. They can take a great family bond, blood, and make it even stronger. And I think that, especially in the workplace, we have a hesitancy to go to a certain level. Once again, we decide to stay in our comfort zone. I don't know anybody that works out and wants to stay comfortable while they work out, right? But we need to in our leadership, in the way that we interact with people, we need to push ourselves to be okay with being uncomfortable. And I remember doing a presentation, and after the presentation, this senior officer 
came up to me and said, you know, I feel like I am this type of leader, but I know that I have refrained intentionally on not talking about things like race, discrimination, racial harassment. And now I understand how I'm limiting myself in my learning and also how I connect and also how I can support some members that are trusting me to be the best leader for them. Oh, so powerful, so powerful. And I love the way you use that son in love instead of son-in-law. And that's the transformation. That is it, indicative of that transformation because that just shows a complete transformation of that relationship. And that's the level of transformation we can all have in our relationships with those around us as we can completely transform the dynamic because so many talk about their in-laws in a negative light. And that doesn't have to be the case. It's how we approach those relationships with intention that can change them. And that's what intrusive leadership's all about that Marcus has been teaching me so much about and his book does such a wonderful job. Now, many of you are interested in servant leadership and that's why you're here, but Marcus has some answers for you. He tells us that intrusive leaders makes better servant leaders and that caring for the whole person is an important piece of intrusive leadership. So what does that really look like? What I was thinking about with that, specifically with servant leadership, there, there are without a doubt a lot of parallels between intrusive leadership and servant leadership. I think that the one defining distinction is once again, the bounds, the limits of that servitude. You can be an excellent leader by making sure somebody has all the safety equipment that they need to do the job, that they have all the training that they need to do the job, that they are well prepared, that the work schedule is conducive to them. You can serve the people that are working for you by doing all those things without ever asking or getting to know them beyond the workplace. That to me is that next level where intrusive leaders go, where servant leaders might not. And I do think that one of the reasons why I'm passionate about it is I think that that is an important aspect that it needs to be separated. It needs laser focus on the fact of that whole person is who you are leading because it doesn't matter if they're a market analyst. It doesn't matter if they are a civil engineer, whatever job that they are, they're still a father when they're on that plant floor. They're still a mother when they're in their cubicle. They're still a son or a daughter when they're in the boardroom. And so the whole person is at the job. And once again, there could be something that could be going on with them in the other facets of their life that is actually impacting them in the workplace. And if you only deal with them as an employee, then you are basically limiting your effectiveness as a leader. And in my opinion, you can be a good leader. You can be a well-liked leader, but you won't be that leader 
that they're still talking to 10 years after they stop working for you. You won't be that leader that truly changes their life or gets them to do things that they never thought was possible if you do not decide to go a little bit further and get to know them at a more deeper level so that that you can lead more of them. Yeah, I really like that. And one of the earliest episodes of the podcast with Clint Ori, we were talking about the difference of respect and tolerance. And we we talk about so many people talk about, you know, just needing to have tolerance. And we discussed how tolerance is really just a baby step. It's really a crawl that respect is really the goal that we need to reach for. And what what Marcus is talking about, we have to have to be an intrusive leader, we have to have a desire to respect the whole individual. We can't search for tolerance. We just can't. That's not going to be good enough to get to this point. We can't have tolerance for different beliefs. We can't have tolerance for different backgrounds. We can't have tolerance for different races. We can't have that as our viewpoint. It has to be respect for the whole individual, wherever they come from, whatever their beliefs are. That's how we're going to get to a point where we really want to learn and love that individual in a way that we can actually have a good quality team. And I just love it. Now, we've had just a wonderful episode so far, and we have a definitely a couple of things I want to talk about. But I, before we forget, I want to highlight that Marcus does a great job when he does these wonderful presentations around the country to military. He tries to give out a bunch of free books to the military. And the Coast Guard Alumni Association makes that possible. And so if you're listening and you have a desire to donate to make these books free to the military, you can go to www.cgaalumni.org. And there's some links there to go to the CG Alumni Association to donate the intrusive leadership books so they can be donated to some military members that might not be able to afford them, some of the junior enlisted and other members so they can be donated as well to make that possible. So we appreciate that. doesn't just go to the Coast Guard. He goes to every service when he goes. We're actually organizing an event in New Orleans. I'm helping with that in September and he'll visit every military branch in the area. And we, we love that. It's a great opportunity. So he does that all the time. There's lots of different events going on all the time. So there's definitely a need for that. So I wanted to highlight that before we go on and ask a few more questions to, to close us out now. Just to make it easy for people that desire to do that, if they go to the my website, KennedyLeadershipGroup.com, on every page, there's a Support Our Troops link. And if you hit that, it takes you right to where you can click the link to go to the Coast Guard Academy Alumni Association page to do that. And the reason why is because I'm not doing this to sell books to military members. I, I am not going to be that person that is at units selling their book. If somebody in the military wants to sharpen their leadership skills, I want to be able to provide this book as a gift. Unfortunately, I can't just purchase all these books myself, so I definitely need some help. That is what that is about. I want this message and I want this leadership style to spread. And I'm not just trying to sell books to military members. And uh, both those links will be in the show notes for everybody too. For anybody who might think that maybe this style might not work for them, or there might be some styles that you know might not work for different 
you know, diversity, inclusion, or equity styles, you have this wonderful analogy about styles that I just love this party example that's in the book. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And then we'll move on to our final two questions to wrap up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, and I'll shorten it a little bit just because of time. But for me, the party example is how I mentally think about the relationship between diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the party example goes like this. Diversity is everybody being invited to the party. Everybody has an invitation to the party. Nobody is prohibited to come into the party, right? Equity is everybody having equal access to the dance floor. And when you're on the dance floor, you can dance wherever you want to, right? Nobody has to do anything extra to get to the dance floor. Or once you get to the dance floor, you don't have to get in the corner or you don't have to be way in the back of the dance floor away from the boss, me, sitting there judging who could dance, right? (laughs) But inclusion is the music that is being played. So you can have people at the party. You can have people that dance because they don't want anybody else to think that they're not having fun or that they have an attitude, so they get up and dance. But your experience at the party is going to be different depending on the type of music that you like to authentically dance to. So I like hip hop. So if I play nothing but hip hop at this party, then those that like hip hop are going to have a great time. Those that don't, once again, they might be there. They might actually dance, but they're not going to have as good of a time because that's not necessarily the music that they like to listen to. Now, me as a supervisor, I'm the DJ, I'm playing the music. I might say, that this person is not a good dancer because they don't know how to dance to hip hop, never knowing that they can salsa their tail off. But I never played salsa music to find out that this is the type of music that they can authentically dance to and that it's not about whether they can dance. It's just what makes them dance authentically, right? So I use that to say that as leaders, That's the part of getting to know somebody to know what type of music that they authentically dance to so that I can get the best out of them. And that's when I went back to playing hip hop. That's how I like to lead. That's that analogy. This is how I like to lead. So I'm just going to play hip hop. And now I'm going to judge everybody's performance based off of how they're dancing to hip hop. Right. Well, My number one person, my go-to person, that's going to be somebody that likes to dance to hip hop. Well, my number four, five, or six person, they might be just as good, but I didn't find out a way to figure out what type of music they like to dance to so that I can judge them as they're dancing to their authentic self, right? So that inclusion part is, that's what I'm getting to with this leadership style is getting to know everybody so that you know what music they like to dance to so that you can motivate them by playing that music and they are going to enjoy being at that party even more. That's the party example. I love it. And I know we're a little long today, but I couldn't leave without getting that example in there. So I had to get it in there because I just love that one. 
Now, talk to us a little bit about the Kennedy Leadership Group and where you hope that goes and what's going on with that. Yeah. When I decided to to write the book, I just decided to start an LLC. But what this has definitely been a passion of mine. How I have been impacted by leadership has changed my life. How I hope to impact others, I hope to change their life. So this has been a passion in helping people have a truly profound impact on the people that they work with, on the people that they lead that is long lasting and permanent. So through the Kennedy Leadership Group, I hope to take this message far and wide. I hope to continue to talk to military audiences in all different branches throughout the country. I hope to talk to corporate workspaces. I hope to talk to police departments, fire departments. I hope to talk to anybody and everybody, teachers, coaches, that want to connect with people at a different level. And why is that important? Why has this become my why? When you learn a new perspective, when you learn how somebody else has grown up, the experiences that they've had, it changes you to the core. That new perspective changes you. When you end up hearing about how somebody, one of your coworkers, one of your friends in the Asian community, what they were going through during the COVID pandemic and some of the challenges that they have had in this country because of their ethnicity, when you have been in wa- awakened to that new perspective, it changes you fundamentally. And that change is going to go beyond the workplace. It's going to go beyond that military unit, that corporate office. You can't change at the job without changing at home. You are going to be a better neighbor. You're going to have that new perspective when you're deciding something at the parent-teacher conference, when you're doing something with the home association. Uh, You are going to be changed as a person. You are going to be better at the job. You're going to be better at home. And with that, person by person, leader by leader, relationship by relationship, we can just simply make this place a better place, a better world. And I just hope that everyone that's listening to this decides to join me in making some intentional actions to change this world. Yeah, and I'll leave that challenge with everybody for this episode is to think about how you can take some intentional action to change the world, to do whatever in your sphere of influence will ask better questions to those around you to make more of an impact in their lives, to get to know them better, to be more of an influence in their lives, to think about how well do you really know all the people you interact with. And if you come up lacking in any of those people, those are the people to start with. Those are the people you need to get better questions with, get to know them better, and then think about how you can build that trust equity with them and be intentional about it and do it out of a place of caring and love because that's the only way you're going to really build that trust equity. And I just really love this conversation. I really do wholeheartedly recommend Intrusive Leadership, how to become that leader because I have my copy of the manuscript just marked up and I'm still going to buy the book because I want the copy on so I can mark it up again because it's just amazing. So I 
totally recommend it. Get it. There'll be links to where to get it. And uh, with that, any final comments to wrap us up today, Marcus? I just really want to thank you. I want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you for the conversations that you're having. I've listened to the podcast. What you're doing is great. And just, you know, for you and for anybody else, just never underestimate the impact that you can have as a leader when you really lean into being that leader that cares for people, that tries to draw the best out of them. Even if it's just five minutes, if you give somebody a hundred percent of you for five minutes, that person might remember that for the rest of their life. Just remember the impact that you can have on people and go out there and just make sure that impact is good. Well, thanks so much, Marcus. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I look forward to seeing where the book goes and see where the candy leadership goes. And I hope all of you have been edified. Please like and share this episode and go out and get the book and share it with others and have a wonderful day. 